today is a little different than usual. We'd normally have much more music than that in a time of worshiping through music. But today we have something special for you as they're clearing off the stage. Today is our courageous conversation. We have been in a series on loving well. That series started at the beginning of the year. It's taken us through Valentine's Day. We looked at what it means to love well when it comes to our spouses, when it comes to our children. The series has taken us through this month of Black History Month, and last Sunday was pretty special when we gave uh, just a few snippets from the I Have a Dream speech, and as Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke about children standing arm in arm. Our children came down, and uh, our, our children came, and they locked arms, and and then I think what was Jeff, our leader of our youth group, so wanted is you as adults, I think, were moved by that and saw what God is doing, what he's allowed us to be a part of. And before long, the seats were empty and we were around this auditorium locking arms. Yeah. And so today we want to have a conversation. And so uh, we're going to begin to move up here on stage I think our pastor, Demoris Robinson, needs no introduction, sir. If you'll follow me, I'm Pastor Kevin. Uh, four months or so ago, God did this thing in us here. Many of you already know it, but Pastor D was pastoring New Life Fellowship. I was pastoring Amber Church. We developed a friendship, and it seemed that as that thing happened right over lunch one day, literally, God began to move, and we saw that what God wanted to do here in this community he wanted to do with us together, and so we fused those two churches together, and I will tell you that you have loved well. As a church, you have loved well. I'll commend you. <laughs> I'll commend you <laughs> that, that you've loved well. The next person we want to bring up is a good friend, Randy Heath. About six years ago, to tell you that story, Randy and I were meeting, and we would get together and we would discuss grace. G-R-A-C-E. We were looking through scripture of what it said about living by grace. And then our conversations turned and we started talking about race, R-A-C-E. And we were planning Ember and I wanted to, to have a church family that looked like the grocery store. I, I felt like to really be the church that God wanted in this community that it needed to look that way. And I didn't know how to do it. And I would run some ideas by Randy. And Randy said, no, don't do that. Please, please, Kevin, don't do that. And it became this place where we could just talk, and it was a safe place. And one of the things that transformed me, and I don't know if you know this or not, but we were having a conversation. I think we were at McDonald's, and Randy said, Kevin, things are never going to change until we want to have dinner together, until our houses are open, and we're willing to, to sit down over meals together, to raise our children together, let our children play together. And so... That then developed Randy and Rose, much to my dismay, moved to Columbia, South Carolina. Never really forgiven them for that. <laughs> Always wanted them to be here. Rose, so good to see you today. And so Randy began to uh, move in this group called Race to the Table. Uh, and I would hear these things that were going on. He was working with two women, uh, Ann and Beth. If you guys are on Facebook or watching Ann and Beth, we love you. And they came and brought race to the table to Chester. And then today, as we wanted to talk about this conversation of loving well, I asked these guys if we could have this kind of conversation. I've told them, and I will tell you again, 
Guys, we came to have a courageous conversation. I've asked them not to water this thing down, to really share from their heart. And I'm going to ask you to just try on some ideas that maybe you have not tried on before, to hear some things maybe you've not heard before. When you walk out of here, you're a free person. You can do and say what you choose to do. But we thought it was important that we have the conversation and everyone be able to hear some things that maybe you wouldn't normally hear. And in doing that, I'm going to ask you to do this. Ask yourself this question. How do I love well? Based on what I've heard today, when you leave here, what do I need to do so that I might love well? Gentlemen, are you ready? Yes, sir. All right, let's do this. As we're sitting down, and I want to prep you guys just a little bit if I can. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. Is it okay if we do a quick survey? I hope so, because I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> So I want you to take just a, a quick survey, if you will. I want you first to do the very thing that's easy, which is this. What is your race? You can answer that just to yourself. You don't have to ask it, answer it out loud. What's your race? And then what's the race of your spouse? And then what's the race, the predominant race of the people that live in your neighborhood? What's the predominant race of the friends that you hang out with? and that eat at your house. When you go to your primary physician, what color, what race is your physician? When your car breaks down, what race is your mechanic? When you get your hair done, what is the race of the person who does your hair? When you watch a movie, what is your favorite actress? What race are they? When you have singers that you listen to on the radio, do we still listen on the radio? I think so. I don't. <laughs> I, you know, whatever. What, what race are they? What are your, your race of the entertainers in your life? And it may be that you realize that at that point, that oftentimes we hang out with people that look like us because it's comfortable. And so today we want to have conversations that maybe in, in many cases, they were conversations that I did not even think of. Things I had not, not even crossed my mind. And these two men have blessed me by being able to, to love me through these conversations. And so I pray that we can do that today. We have some topics, and then we're going to allow you to ask questions as well when we get toward the end. We'll have a, a text line up there. You can text those messages if you would rather do that. If you're listening on Facebook, you can type in your questions on Facebook Live, and they'll send those questions to me. We'll begin to answer those at the end. But we've got some topics, and here's the first one. Randy, since you're our visitor, I'd like to start with you if that's okay. You ready? Let's go. <laughs> All right. Oftentimes you will hear this phrase, I don't see color. You ever heard that phrase, I don't, I don't see color? Now, Randy, I want you to maybe explain some of your thoughts on what it sounds like and what you feel when you hear someone say, I don't see color. Well, I do want to point out that, that we're talking about being different. Why don't you have a bow tie on today, Kevin? <laughs> We, I mean, do y'all not notice this? Me and Pastor D have on bow ties, and Kevin have on the tie. What's up with that? I didn't, didn't know. You didn't get the memo? I didn't know. It was, it was, um, but. Brant, Brantley did. <laughs> I got to tell you this. Brantley did tell me this. She said, you know that Randy and Pastor D are going to outdress you. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I know. She said, well, come on, go with me. I'm going to take you to the store and try to make you. <laughs> I'm going to try to make you look a little better. 
You, you did good. I know you worked with what you had. You did good. You did good. <laughs> You did good. You did good. You did good. What was funny? What was funny? Can, can, can we stay on topic? <laughs> Let me say this first. Let me say this. What What was funny was when we was walking out. Brentley said it got to a point. I just looked at Kevin and said, "I know we have a budget, but it doesn't even matter. Whatever you want, let's just get it." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and so guys, um, just just a, um, in answering that question, I I do want to um, share a little light, a little bit about uh, my perspective, um. When it comes to any of these matters, um, we're we're all human, and 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 being human, um, we all have our different outlooks, our different experiences, and different opinions, and and so some of the things I will be sharing is exactly that, my opinion. Um, but I do think it's encouraged that as we um, delve into these type of conversations, that our our personalities stay true. Um, so I hope that we do laugh during this tough time. <laughs> As we were talking about tough topics, um, I hope that we can kind of enjoy it as well. Um, but but when it comes to the question of, of if someone makes a statement, um, I don't see race. Um, the first thing I go to is that's like saying you don't see me as being a person. Um, that's the same way of saying you don't see me as being a black man. Um, that's the same thing as saying um, um, I don't see you as being Randy. Um, why is that important to me? Because that's that's part of my heritage part of my heritage. I'm from a, a proud um, African-American black heritage. Um, and I want anyone to respect that. So if you come to me and you say, um, I don't see color, um, I understand that sometimes the intent is noble. The intent, I realize, is sometimes um, I don't judge you based off your race um, or I don't judge you based off the way you look. Um, but I think, I think there are some realities to that, too, that most of us have some sort of bias. Um, we, we have some way of looking at things um, through the scope of how we were brought up, through our experiences, um, through the way we choose to live our lives. Um, and, and in our society, we, we speak towards embracing diversity. Um, and diversity means you do have to see me for all of who I am, um, including a black man. So, so embrace that. And learn, learn from it. Learn, learn, to get to know what it means um, um, to to really embrace someone totally different than you. And me and Demores, we we're both good-looking black guys up here. We're really good-looking black guys. I must admit that. We do. We look. I really agree good with our bow ties and everything. <laughs> but we're, but we're different. We're different. So because you know Demores doesn't mean that you know me. Um, because you know me doesn't mean you know Demores. Um, um, and so I feel like when you say you don't see color, that's the same thing as saying you don't see the Moors, you don't see Randy, you don't see Kevin. Um, so that's just my initial thoughts. And now I'll piggyback on whatever else you guys got to say. Yeah. <laughs> what you well, you know, I was I was sitting here as Randy was talking. I was like, man, he's stealing everything I was going to say. Uh, and so then I was looking around and I saw the keyboard. Um, the keyboard that, that Amy so eloquently plays is a Roland. Um, David, who is my son and, and played music for me for years, he plays a Yamaha motif. All right. Um, how many of you guys drive a Ford? Lift your hand up real quick. If you drive a Ford, don't be ashamed. I drive a Ford. <laughs> right. What What about a Dodge? If you drive a Dodge, raise your hand. What about a classic car? Raise your hand. Does classic mean old? And not like no like Chris's classic oh, okay. car. Like, like, yeah. Okay, gotcha. All right. So the the reason why I pointed those things out is because of this. All right. So the Yamaha, the Roland, all of them are different. Okay. 
every last one of them are different. You don't walk into the store and just say, hey, I want a keyboard. All right, you'll walk in, they'll say, okay, now what do you want to do with the keyboard? Well, I want to be able to do this. Okay, well, this keyboard can give you this ability. You know, somebody may say, well, I like Dodge Rams, and I like Dodge because of this. All right, so when you say I don't see color, what you're doing is saying, I just want a generic car. I, I, I want a car with no labels on it. I, I want a keyboard with no labels on it. And what happens when you strip away those labels, you strip away those characteristics of what they're known for. You know, a Ford says this is built for it tough. It has a reputation that it has developed over the years, and people are drawn because of that reputation. So when you look at myself as an African-American man, um, and you say, well, I don't see color, what it does is says, well, I don't see the, the characteristics that make him who he is. I, I, I don't see that. I just want to see somebody. But when you do that, you minimize what you have the ability to take advantage of. You know, not from a negative standpoint, but the opportunity of being able to really relate to um, and grow and be able to accept and experience on a whole nother um, level. You know, when I look scripturally, I see in Revelations that it says that those gathered around the throne are from every tribe and every tongue. And so it looks to me like even in that last day that those things are important, that God created us differently, I believe, so that he can present to the world what true unity looks like, that it's unity in diversity, not just unity and we've all got to look the same. And so I don't, we're not going for gray. We're going for appreciating what God has put in each one of us. And I, and I think that's something that, yeah. So we've come a long way. Uh, and yet I believe that we would say there's a lot more that uh, has to be done. Oftentimes, we try to take our history and we try to compress it. And so I put some numbers together before I ask this next question about where do you guys think we are on these words of race and prejudice today, okay? And, uh, and so in 1863, Lincoln uh, wrote the Emancipation Proclamation, one of the first acts in this drama to begin changing things. In 1865, the 13th Amendment was passed. But in 1896, the Supreme Court said that it was okay to be separate but equal. And that's when, these, uh, when segregation uh, was, was really permitted by the courts. In 1954, how many of you were alive in 1954? Raise your hand. Raise your hand and hold it up. Come on, Dad, raise your hand. <laughs> be proud. Yeah. In 1954, Brown versus Board of Education is when we started to desegregate schools, at least on the courts, but was never really specified as how we were going to do that. In fact, we have someone here today. Susan was a part of Birmingham during the time of, of segregation. She helps with our race to the table. In 1955, Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat. And in 1963, the march was on Washington. That's just 60 years ago. We're just talking about something that happened 60 years ago. So I think personally, it's wrong of us to think that, well, it's all over now. We should be good. Let's just move on. But I want to hear what you guys have to say. Race and prejudice, where are we? <laughs> okay, sure, sure. Um, you know, We're on Facebook Live, so I have to make sure. I, um, but, you know, <laughs> um, 
I think I think the reality is that um, we have a, a lot to be grateful for as as a country, as a, as a people, as a society. We have a, a lot to um, thank God for for progress that we've made. Um, but I think it's very unwise to feel like the battle is over. Um, I feel like it's very unwise to feel like, hey, we made it. We got a black president. We ha- well, we had a black president. No more racism. Um, I think that's a very um, misled conclusion. Um, so when it comes down to that, I mean, if you even are remotely aware of what's going on in our country, um, you can see that tensions are very high, um, that racial tensions are very high. Just this week, um, I think Ole Miss, if for those of you who watch sports, Ole Miss, um, there is a Confederacy um, march or a rally on their campus so as part of a protest, some of their basketball players took a knee during the um, national anthem. Um, so Confederacy um, marches are still happening happening on college campuses. If that um, shares any light, um, if you if you see that um, there are people, black people, who are being murdered um, at times um, with no consequence those who murder uh, us, um, I think that speaks towards um, where we are as a society. When those who, um, when someone cries out who are oppressed and those who uh, benefit from those who are being oppressed are unwilling to make a stand and say, yes, I'm going to stand with those who are being oppressed, to me, I think that speaks towards our bias and where we are as a country that we're unwilling to stand with those who are suffering. Um, when we look back at history, we now say that, hey, those who, like Rosa Parks, she's a hero now, but she wasn't considered a hero then. Um, um, and, and so I'm looking at the things that we're going through right now, things that we have an opportunity to make a decision on right now to say that we want to be on the right side of history. Um, I think as a society, we still have a long way to go. Right now, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that some of the decisions um, that we've made um, is, is we're, we're definitely not on the right track of being on the right side of history on some of those current things. Well, for me, I, I believe that um, for years, like Kevin, he went through the timeline, and a lot of people would like to think that, you know, we're good now. We, you, you know, it's, it's been so many years ago, we're good, everything is well. Um, but in reality, we have a long way to go. You know, it's not that we ignore the progress that has been made because I'm, I'm grateful. Um, I'm sitting in a church where we have different cultures, different ethnicities, um, different races. So I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by, you know, what I see, you know, so I don't, I don't, you know, suppress it or deny it. But I'm also aware that I'm raising two African-American young men. You know, my my son is is soon to be 14 and my baby's 12. And I know for me personally, what I've had to endure by being someone who's always tried to be a law-abiding citizen, always walk upright, always treated people fair and, and the right way, but yet I still have to deal with certain aspects in society because of the color of my skin. And so because I know that personally and I have a personal testimony of it, 
um, I'm, I'm not naive to think because when I lay my head down at night, I, I, I wonder about am my son going to have to deal with the things that that I've dealt with and my son's going to have to um, be be afraid to um, to be black. You know, because in reality, um, we've made a lot of progress inside of here in Ember. But when we leave out of here, a lot of people haven't you know, made the progress that we made. So in actuality, a lot of times to be a black man is to be scared, you know, is, is to be is, is scary because you, you don't know. You know, you're not afforded certain liberties, and it's simply because of the color of your skin. So we have a long way to go. The next topic, if you guys don't mind, as odd as it is, I'd like to take this one first. Uh, it's the issue of Black Lives Matter. You uh -oh. probably heard uh -oh. that. You sure you want to talk about that? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going first on, on this I'm just one. kidding. I want to talk about <laughs> I, I remember when it, it was first being talked about, and that phrase was being used, Black Lives Matter. Honestly, as a, a white person, I said, well, well, don't all lives matter? And so Randy and I were going to have, I think it was breakfast that day. We were at the Waffle House, I believe. And, and so I said, <laughs> I've got to gotta talk to Randy, you know, and i got to see what he thinks about this. And so I said, you know, Randy, it appears to me that, that all lives matter. So what are, what are we trying to say here? And I'll give you a chance to correct me if I'm wrong, okay? But this thing, it... It touched my heart so deeply that after that I had to go around and tell people who even acted like they were interested. I ran home and I told Brantley, and we, we sat on the couch, and I, I think we, we cried for just a little bit. But here's what Randy said. He said, Kevin, we all know that all lives matter. So the, the statement Black Lives Matter is not saying that we don't believe that all lives matter. We know that all lives matter. What we're trying to say, Kevin, is that we don't think the world believes that our black lives matter. Now, if you're a Christian at all, that has to penetrate your heart, doesn't it? That, that some person, even if it's just one person, but particularly if it is a group of people that say, we just want you to know that, that we think our life matters too. But in the society that we live in, it doesn't appear that way because when we die, nobody seems to be upset. And if you remember, we had an incident in town where um, there was an, an incident at one of the churches locally that someone was, was held up by gunpoint. And we all thought how terrible that was and how the enemy has come right into our churchyard to, to hold up women in our churchyard. And, and we were outraged by that. But then I think it was only a week or so later that a young man died on the corner of, I believe it was Foot and Saluda Street. And nobody said a word. And a lot of people even said, well, we think he was involved in a game. And I couldn't help but believe that, you know what? That man, that young man deserved to live. And that young man has a mother and a father. And they should not have buried that young man. And we have to care as much about his life as we do about our own lives. And my heart ever since then has been broken to the fact that there is it, if there's just one person that feels like somehow society does not believe that their life matters. Okay, I'm good. I'm Can I go, good. Randy? Please do. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this topic, it, it's, it's dear to my heart because... 
I, you know, if, if, if someone wants to have a personal conversation and, and, and Jonathan Burnett, he, he, he's my brother. He called me because when he wants to have personal conversations, he'll call me and say, D, let me ask you this. Because he knows it's a place that we can have a courageous conversation where we can we can talk. And if he's, you know, misinformed or, you know, ignorant to a fact that he asks me and I tell him answer, we still love each other through it. Um, but the reason why I wanted to take this one is because when we say Black Lives Matter, a lot of people think that we're ignoring other ethnicities. We're ignoring other lives. We're ignoring, you know, white lives, Hispanic lives and countless other lives. And like Randy said, it's not that we, we discount any of that. But when you look back on history, and like you said, he said, when we look back, we have an opportunity to be on the right side of history. I think you're going to probably hear that a lot throughout this conversation. This is an opportunity for the hundreds of us that are in here, you know, the thousands that are watching online, to be on the right side of history. So when you hear somebody say Black Lives Matter, the way that you're on the right side of history is to remember that there was a point in time in history where my life was only worth one third of a person. I'm going to let that sit there for a second. There, there was a time when Randy's life was only one third of a person. So in order for us to make to be equal to Kevin, Donnie would have to come up here, and the three of us would have to be here to be, even, even be able to equal a whole person. So that's why we say Black Lives Matter. Because when you look in the history books, it didn't. It didn't to the point where you were looked at as being a portion of a person. And so the way that you're on the right side of history is saying for years when we look back, because believe it or not, guys, this stuff wasn't so far ago. You know, we have a family heirloom in our house, and I was looking at my, me and my daughter was looking at it, and we went back to like her great-great-grandmother, I think it was, and one of them was a slave. So this isn't something that was like, you know, what was it, 1482 when did he... The ocean. It, it wasn't a long. It, it wasn't a long time ago. This was something that you, that's tangible, something that you can physically put your hands on. So when we say that, the way that you're on the right side of history, saying, you know what, you're absolutely right. There was a time when you were being treated as being less of a person, and now because I do love God, but because I do love Christ, I realize that we have the same um, equality in each other. Part of the topic for today is, is race in the church. Um, maybe we can even tie in a little bit more to what's the church's response uh, when it comes down to Black Lives Matter. Um, because I can, I can tell you that there is a great sense. Um, I believe that um, Western church doesn't isn't on the side of the oppressed in this case, isn't on the side of black lives, um, because I don't think a lot of the voices are, hey, um, black people are suffering, let let me see what I can do um, to change that. Um, here, here's, a, here's a real societal, um, I guess, example. When we look at our society, we all know about the crack epidemic. Um, some of you may where where when Black communities were being destroyed by crack and cocaine, um, in which case lawmakers and society and um, I think part of the church has uh, 
endorsed um, labels to the black community where it referred to our youth even as super predators um, because of the epidemic that was destroying the black community. Um, and if we can go now into present times where we look at um, opioid, um, which is not impacting the black community at, at a greater rate as those um, as the white community. And, and we don't typically go and say, oh, they're super predators. We're, we're more empathetic towards saying, hey, these kids need help, um, which I think should be the proper response because that's the humanity response. That's, that's a person. Um, there are someone, these are people who are, who are, who are hurting and in need of the church to have their back to help them heal. Um, but, but it's hard to ignore the fact that the, the empathy isn't there when it's black lives who, who are suffering. Um, I'm, I'm even wondering, um, when you, when you spoke, um, about where we are right now as a society, um, I kind of wonder where is the church um, when when we think about let's look at Rosa Parks for instance. Rosa Parks wanted to she, she, the boycott, the bus boycott, and we we know because that's a more popular story. We we now look at it and we say, wow, she's a hero, she's a hero. Um, but what she was doing was trying to let society know Black Lives Matter. We deserve to sit on the bus as well, um, or or my or our our. Uh, my ancestors who who fought so that we can eat in restaurants, eat in restaurants. Some simple as eating at restaurants. That was saying, hey, y'all, Black Lives Matter. We're we're not one third of a human as you, um, as society tried to label us. We're we're full human, completely created um, in the image of God, just like um, our white counterparts. And so when we and so when we look at that now, we see that voices are still trying to say, y'all, black lives matter. How, how those voices, what are they doing now? They're, they're doing, we, we look at, I think one of the topics maybe on there is Colin Kaepernick. Um, he, what, what he's trying to do is say, hey y'all, black lives matter. Um, and, I, and I know that's a really heavy topic, so I'm kind of gonna skip there. Um, <laughs> Is the fact that when when we when we look at Colin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick, he he said, um, he he made a stance, and I realize this is really controversial, I realize it. So I'm so glad, I'm so proud to have two pastors that say, let's talk about controversial stuff, you know, because we deal with real life here. And and so I, I look at Colin Kaepernick, who, um, who who took a knee, um, and many have been offended for the fact that he took a knee during the national anthem, you know, like. You, you clearly don't love America's um, calling. You clearly don't love people. What about those who died and, you know, served our country? Um, and I don't think that was his argument. Um, I think his argument was black people are being murdered. Um, black people are, are being oppressed. Um, and society doesn't seem to care. How can I get your attention, society? How can I get you to now care that black lives matter? Um, and when has there ever been a time that that um, my ancestors who protested to say, hey, we need y'all to know that Black Lives Matter will ask for permission to say, hey, dear people who are oppressing us, what can I do to let you know that you need to begin to care for us? No, that's not how it works. You, um, that's not how it works. 
you and but I'm wondering the I'm I'm wondering if if us as individuals, the church, um, if if we were to roll back in time and would we also tell Rosa Park, Rosa Parks that no, your life doesn't matter. Black lives doesn't matter. And and maybe it won't maybe maybe your response would not have been, hey, um, boycotting or or trying to attack Rosa Parks, but perhaps your response was, or the church's response was, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. Not doing anything, not saying anything, does not say Black Lives Matter. It actually says the opposite. It says my life matters more than Black Lives because I'm not going to do anything to compromise or make my life more uncomfortable for the sake of those who are being oppressed. Now I can talk for like 30 more minutes on this, but <laughs> but I'm not. I'm going to pass the mic over. Yeah, I was just thinking. Pastor D did a message on the Good Samaritan, and I think oftentimes the church has been uncomfortable with uncomfortable conversations, and because of that, we may have fallen into the trap of the priest and the Levi, and we have passed by when those were hurting and broken, and we passed by because it was. It was uncomfortable or it was inconvenient. I was just thinking about, I, I think when I was younger, Martin Luther King Jr. at the time was probably considered a, a troublemaker, even as early as me. Um, and to be able to share that message last Sunday was, was pretty important for me because I think, you know, even in my lifetime, he was considered to be a troublemaker. And when he was moving in the civil rights era, he was considered the most dangerous man in America. Which means sometimes I believe when you stand up for what is right, you are condemned for it. And I would love to get back to the place where the church stands up for those who are, are broken, those who are oppressed, those, those who are in need. In fact, this is a little off topic, but I have the iPad, so I feel like I can do that a little <laughs> bit. I can get us on track. I think the church has gotten wrapped up too much in punishment and not enough in restoration. Um, I, I think that too often we want to punish people who do things wrong. And if I look at the gospel, Jesus came that he might restore me. He took my punishment. Um, and I believe that the church is best when it is restoring people, not when it is punishing people. And I would love to see us as a church continue down the road of, of restoring, restorative justice even. I'll leave that there. <laughs> okay. No, I think that's important, and yeah. I think to even add to that, I think the Bible clearly makes it clear, I mean, clearly states that we should weep with those who weep. Yeah. Uh, we should be with those who mourn. We should be with those who are suffering. I, I think Jesus Christ, um, I think, I wonder. Oh, get Jesus, ready. Here Jesus, he goes. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, um, our Lord and Savior. I wonder what would Jesus be, what would his response be right now to the fact that Black Lives Matter. Would would he? Because because here's the thing. Jesus has always been a symbol. Well, Jesus started off as a symbol for those who were being oppressed. Him dying on the cross was us lowly sinful people who was in need of a savior. And and when I look at Jesus, Jesus has always been a symbol of um, those who've been oppressed to give us hope, to give us dignity. 
um, my ancestors were able to fight severe um, oppression, oppression um, with the hope of that cross of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, um, many have hijacked the image of Jesus to use it to justify um, why they are better than those who they were oppressing. Um, and and I'll, I want to go more on that, but I'll wait. Well, well you know, this topic, it, it has so much, it's so much to come out of it because, you know, when we talked about the label part, you know, Kevin talked about, um, you know, the young man that lost his life. And then when you attach, well, he was probably in a gang. What that does, and I want you to hear me clearly, those that are watching online, I want you to hear me clearly. When you look at a person's issue to justify the punishment that you're trying to render, especially to a black man, what that says is, I'm trying to position you back to being one-third of a person. When I say, well, he was in a game, what that says is, well, he wasn't a whole person, so we shouldn't care. Well, he, he, was a, he, was a, he was a troublemaker, so we shouldn't care. Well, if I wasn't a troublemaker, then you would be concerned. So if we look at the dynamics of both sides of that statement, it says that if I'm going to take somebody's issue and allow that to justify how I deal with them, it says that I'm pushing them back to the position of being one-third of a person because they had an issue. And the last time I checked, the church was supposed to deal with those who had issues and bring them back to restoration and wholeness. Yeah. Uh, this next topic, we may combine these three, okay? So uh, to make sure we're, we're still on track time-wise, but we want to talk about this thing called white privilege that you may have been hearing some things about. What does that mean, and what does it sound like to, to these men that are here and you can generally relate that to things like uh, policing, criminal justice. And so if you want to bring some of those three things together, we can. Um, Pastor D, I know you and I are raising some young men. Your kids are a little smaller than ours right now, but ours are starting to drive. And, and, and maybe just talk about what it's like raising your kids now, getting ready to turn them out into the world in these issues of white privilege and the other topics. Well... To, to go back to my youth, I remember very, very vividly when I was probably about 16 years old, um, I had a cold. I was congested, didn't feel well. Um, and, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood that was a, um, it was a government housing, it was government projects. And so a lot of the friends that I had, they didn't, they wasn't as articulate or they didn't carry themselves in the manner I did. And so we were all in the store and we had different, we were from different areas, different social statuses, even though we were all poor. You know, we just had this and they didn't, you know. But what happened was, I very, I, I remember it vividly. I went to, uh, we walked in the store, and this was back when magazines used to come out. It was like this magazine called The Source Magazine. And, and the guys wanted to go grab The Source Magazine to see who was inside of the magazine, who was on the cover, or what have you. And all of us came in together, but when we came in, I went to the pharmacy they went to the magazine aisle, and I was standing there with uh, a white lady. And as I stood there, the lady who was behind the counter, she left the counter, and she walked down the back of the store, and I watched her, and she stood at the edge of the store near the magazine aisle, and she just watched, and she just watched. And I looked over at the lady next to me, and I looked back, 
And then finally, the guys came to where I was, and the lady at the time that was watching them came back behind the counter. And yeah, I guess I was kind of a troublemaker back then. I asked the question. I said, now, all of us were together, but you didn't know that. I saw you leave us here at the counter to go back there to watch them. And the most that they could steal was a magazine. But you left the two of us here, and we could have went behind the counter and grabbed whatever we wanted. And she was offended to the point that she put us out of the store. But the point is, there are certain things that, or there are certain struggles that um, that each race doesn't have to endure. You know, I, I told the lady, I said, so this lady right here, she could have stole everything she wanted to, and you wouldn't have cared because you were more concerned about her, so you gave her the privilege to do whatever she wanted to do. You know, as Kevin said, you know, Channing will be soon driving. He already knows what kind of car he had, wants, and all those kind of things. Um, but I had to tell him, and even my daughter, my daughter is 17 years old. I said, listen, this is what you have to do. And listen to me when I say this. This is no shot at um, good police officers. I want to make sure I make that plain. This is not a shot at any police officer that serves, protects. This is not a shot at them. Absolutely not. I want to make sure we understand that, all right? But I had to tell my daughter and even my sons, listen, your license needs to be right here clipped to your, your visor. Your, your insurance, everything needs to be right here. And when you get pulled over, the way that they taught you to drive, I think it's 10 and 2. You go to 10 and 2, and when they walk to the door, you ask for permission to reach up there in plain sight to get something that they could get, or you ask them to get it. Because society has said, even if you are right, there are times when your life could be lost just because of the color of your skin. And that's a conversation I have to have with my kids. And that's a conversation that I have to have with some of my peers to this day. And I even get, I get nervous when I get pulled over, you know, because I don't know what the outcome is going to be. And again, this is no shot at any police officer that protects us because I believe we need police, we need every aspect of the judicial system. So it's not a slight at them. But when we look at how society has looked at Sandra Bland, who you know was an educated woman, but yet some kind of way she lost her life in a prison cell. When we look at what's uh, Philando that was in the car in front of his kid that was murdered, you can't, we can't play because there are certain privileges that aren't afforded. I think, I think for me, when I was growing up, I can't remember my parents ever having a conversation with me about what to do when I got pulled over. Uh, when Caden started driving, I told him, Caden, if you get pulled over, here's what you need. You need to know where your driver's license is. You need to know where your, life, uh, where your registration and your insurance card is. And because of conversations that I've had about race, I understood that my son was probably in a different position. I would never have to tell my child, hey, you need to be careful about reaching over toward the glove box or, or moving too fast or anything like that because I never would have thought that in all the years of being pulled over, and I've been pulled over a couple times, okay? Let's say that the highway patrolman reformed me in my younger days about driving fast, okay? But, me but too. Growing up, though, it, it never dawned on me that I would have to be nervous about that. The only thing I was nervous about was, is, was it going to cause my insurance to go up? Not was it, would I lose my life. 
And I never would think that I could, would go into a court and I wouldn't receive justice in court because I just thought that the system would work for me. But as we have these conversations, I realize that if you're a, a black person, that's not the case, that there is a great deal of fear when you get pulled over, that when you go to court, there's, there's not the same confidence that the justice system will look out for you. And just real quick, whether we do it intentionally or not, cocaine and crack, cocaine and crack. Cocaine was a rich man's drug, a white man's drug. It carried with it oftentimes some very low prison sentences. Crack cocaine was seen as a poor man's drug. It was the, the black community drug, and it was uh, sentenced at high levels. And because of that, there's been this disproportionate level of people who are going to prison. Now, was that done intentionally? Or just because we don't, we don't think about these things, we don't have enough conversations to realize what's happening. But that's why some of this is being rolled back is because you could carry a, a kilo of cocaine or a, a pocket of crack and you'd get more for the crack than you would for the, for the cocaine. Those are the kind of things that as a white person, until I started having these conversations, I, I said, really, I just had no idea. 